E-Longevity, bringing space, crypto, and longevity science discussion to the masses. Welcome. We're happy that you're here. Welcome to the E-Longevity podcast, everyone. As you know, this is our flagship effort to bring E-Longevity to the masses. I am codenamed Lou, one of the early Discord admins and Dojadon lover, and I have a deep love for the Methuselah Foundation and their mission to make 90 the new 50 by 2030. And I do feel and believe that it will be accomplished. We also want to introduce our co-host, Britannia00. Hello, um, I'm Britannia00. Um, I bring with me 17 years of healthcare experience. Um, I work for a biotech company here in the U.S. Um, on the commercial side. I've been a Dogalon holder since May of 2021. Thank you. Thank you for always being here. Great, great support. And we appreciate this episode. We are speaking to a pioneer in the longevity space. We have a special guest, the founder of Longevity Market Cap, the home of information on investing in the longevity biotech industry. An angel investor and director on the Longevity Biotech Fellowship, Mr. Nathan Chang. So Nathan, how are you feeling today? And also welcome. Welcome to our podcast. No, thank you. Uh, thank you, Codename Lou and uh, Britannia00 for having me on the podcast. Um, and also a huge shout out to uh, Sergio at uh, the Methuselah Foundation for, for setting this up as well. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Feeling good. We appreciate that. Shout out to Sergio as well, too. I know he's going to be uh, smiling from ear to ear when he hears that. <laughs> So we wanted to ask you, just to start out, what is your background and how did you get involved in the biotech field? Yeah, so um, it's a bit of a, a long, circuitous journey, but uh, basically I, I started out not in biology at all, <laughs> something in, in a field that's completely unrelated. So my first degree was actually in nuclear engineering. And then uh, I did a, a bachelor's in that and then switched to um, a PhD program in physics. And I got maybe like two years into my PhD and had this sort of existential crisis where it's just like, why am I doing this? Why, why am I doing anything at all? Like life is so short and um, it just seems so pointless. Uh, and I got to this point where I, I got really depressed about like, you know, these, these existential sort of questions. And I ended up dropping out of my PhD after two years. And uh, so that was a big departure from academia. And then uh, I ended up uh, backpacking around the world for, for like a year and a half, uh, mostly in Asia, also spent some time in Australia, just basically doing a lot of random things. And um, no long story short, uh, I eventually sort of in my path of sort of self-discovery and trying to figure out, you know, answers to these questions, I kind of stumbled upon uh, longevity, um, mostly through, I guess, YouTube and, you know, uh, you know, books, you know, Aubrey de Grey's Ending Aging, of course, and mm. um, and also YouTube videos uh, from like Laura Deming and so forth. Sort of went down the rabbit hole for um, in longevity and uh, decided that this was something that I, I really wanted to uh, work on. And uh, that's the most important thing uh, for myself and um, and maybe humanity at large was to, to work on this problem of aging, because, you know, as everyone knows, Aging is just like this this horrible you know process. It causes untold suffering. You know the economic cost is huge as well, and um, just like the the constraint that it imposes on people and the choices that they make and the way that they live is is just so great. So I just felt like yeah, uh, working on aging 
was probably the the best way to sort of unlock um, the potential in humanity. And uh, yeah, so I decided I really wanted to get involved in longevity, but of course I didn't have a background in biology. I didn't even take biology in high school because I thought it was just so boring. It was just like, oh, just a bunch of memorization. <laughs> Um, so I ended up, uh, you know, doing a lot of self-study in biology, took some biology courses online, decided that, uh, I wanted to, you know, potentially start a company because, uh, there was this Laura Deming YouTube video that was really influential for myself personally, where she was talking about how, you know, uh, a lot more, uh, capital had been flowing into the longevity space, but there really wasn't enough founders. That was the kind of like main bottleneck for progress. So I decided, okay, fine, uh, maybe I'll try and start a company, <laughs> a biotech company in this space, but I didn't know anything. So uh, I started the, the Longevity Market Cap newsletter, actually. That was the first thing that I started to do to get into the space. And uh, first and foremost, it was really just a, a learning exercise for myself, just uh, to learn more about the space, you know, write about it. I, I really think that's the best way to learn about something is to, to write and clear, clarify your thoughts uh, on the subject. But um, but in the process of writing, you know, uh, this newsletter every week um, and sharing it with other people, it kind of, um, you know, it, it kind of, I don't know, helped other people get into the space as well. And, um, you know, for the first, I would say, like four months of writing the newsletter, no one was really reading it. Uh, but then I sort of hit this inflection point where it, it started to take off. And um, at that point, I realized, you know, with the newsletter and some of the other resources that I was uh, building, sort of like a longevity list, which is a database for companies and also a jobs board. And I was also doing a podcast at the time called the Longevity Biotech Show. So basically all these resources that I was building um, were helping get more people into the field. So I thought to myself, maybe instead of, you know, starting a longevity biotech company by myself, uh, instead of doing that, maybe I could um, help 100 people. Uh, start companies in this space. So kind of like more of a, a leverage way to get things uh, moving in longevity. So that was sort of like my pathway and uh, eventually got into uh, connected with um, Eric Tornberg at uh, OnDeck. Uh, he's one of the co-founders there. And um, yeah, we discussed ways that we could potentially build a program, like a community for people who wanted to tackle the problem of aging in the context of, uh, you know, longevity in the context of like biotech startups. And uh, yeah, and that's how the uh, the On Deck Longevity Biotech Fellowship Program was born. And that was, uh, I guess, last year. So uh, yeah, so all these things that I was doing is just kind of like just uh, following this path with uh, no real plan. But um, yeah, here I am. So it's it's been kind of a wild journey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for uh, taking us on that journey with you and giving us the roadmap of what you went through. It's always cool to see one's passion become their life's work. As you were speaking, though, I thought of this question. Why do you think the topic of aging is not more mainstream or focused on in the scientific community? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a good question, right? Um, so there's a couple things, right? So one, uh, first of all, it's, it is still kind of a new science, relatively speaking, right? So a lot of the fundamental discoveries in aging biology didn't, or at least the, the molecular biology of aging, rather. Um, those, those weren't uh, really like fleshed out until like late 80s, I would say. So it's only been maybe three decades. Um, so yeah, in, in relative terms, it's, it hasn't been that long 
So that's one thing to sort of just frame the problem, um, uh, or, or at least the answer to, to why not that many people know about uh, aging science, aging biology. Um, and then another thing is, um, you know, most people don't learn about aging biology in high school because it's not part of the curriculum. But even if you go to like, uh, if you take, you know, biology as your undergraduate or like a bachelor's degree uh, at any university, it's generally not taught or even covered at all, right? So it's not part of any standard biology curriculum. Most people only encounter it as like a specialization when they go to graduate school or something like that. Um, so yeah. So that's that's another part of the equation why most people why a lot of people don't know about it, um, yeah. So I would say it's it's those two things. But then uh, yeah, we just need I guess more people talking about it. I think uh, one thing that really helped sort of get um, you know aging biology on on the map and uh, in the minds of people was uh, David Sinclair's book, right? Lifespan, right? Yeah. Like, I really think we just need more people. Yeah. Like, you know, reputable, reputable people who have, um, you know, uh, research expertise or whatever in, in aging biology to, uh, yeah, to popularize um, the science. And, uh, you know, when he went on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, I remember there was like a distinct spike in the number of subscribers, um, on the uh, subreddit, the R Longevity subreddit. So it, it's just a matter of, you know, growing pains of uh, a new field and yeah, just getting it out there. So mm -hmm. it's a couple things there. Mm. I agree with what you said. We could use a few more champions, in my opinion, uh, in the longevity and biotech field. Now, a lot of work is being done behind the scenes, but I just wish that more individuals would take that proverbial flame and run with it, you know? Everyone needs to know, in my opinion, about aging, science, and research because it affects all of us. Now, as we're doing our research on you to switch gears a little bit, I came across some information that you invest in biotech companies. And the other day, I discovered this new company that creates protein for consumption by means of solar power. And apparently, it's like 20% more efficient than that of photosynthesis. And their claim is that they'll revolutionize the global food market. And to me... You know, that could have uh, many implications, you know, for interplanetary travel and food production, longevity, and health, and, and so forth. So what is it that you look for when it comes to investing in a biotech company? What do you look for? Yeah, so uh, I do, <laughs> uh, as one of my, you know, many hats is, um, is uh, working as an investor. So I am uh, a general partner at uh, HealthSpan Capital. So this is a new sort of a VC firm, venture capital firm that invests in early stage longevity biotech companies. And um, yeah, so basically our, our thesis is that, you know, uh, rejuvenation is the future of medicine. And we want to help, you know, early stage companies and founders who, who are really mission driven uh, in, you know, tackling the problem of aging with uh, their companies, investing in them, but also uh, helping them build their companies as well. So um what we look for uh, in terms of investing, well, number one, they have to be longevity companies. So, <laughs> so that, that might seem like a, an obvious like uh, criterion, but um, but it's a little tricky because uh, you get a lot of different types of companies who uh, get lumped into the theme of longevity. So, like if you tell someone you uh, you know I, I work in longevity or 
I'm working investing in longevity, someone will invariably tell me, oh yeah, have you have you checked out this company? They do like continuous glucose monitors. And uh, you know, I think that is it plays you know an interesting role. Like the whole biohacking lifestyle part of longevity is definitely um, you know is its own type of longevity. But when we're talking about longevity biotech specifically, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a little different, right? So we're looking for right. basically companies that uh, can eventually create some sort of intervention. So usually that means uh, like a drug of some sort um, that uh, that targets some sort of um, you know fundamental uh, cellular or, or molecular process of aging, um, and that could be used to treat potentially multiple uh, age-related diseases or prevent them. So we're looking at something that's more fundamental. So not just, you know, a drug that will only work on like Alzheimer's disease or something like that. We're looking for something that uh, broadly affects the, the aging process and um, would uh, essentially reduce your risk for developing uh, multiple age-related diseases like Alzheimer's disease, but also maybe like cancer and um, cardiovascular disease. So that's kind of like the, the broad thesis there. And, um, and then more specifically, okay, so they have to be like longevity, have to fit into that, that thesis. Um, <laughs> what, what else are we looking for? Well, you, you want to find companies that um, have strong science, right? So it has to be well validated. Ideally, they have, um, you know, uh, lifespan data in some sort of model organism, uh, but not just lifespan data, because, you know, lifespan is just one part of the equation. We also need to see some sort of um, uh, effect in either some age uh, related disease model in mice or, or what have you, or um, maybe uh, some amelioration of aging phenotypes or something like that uh, when it's, you know, tested in mice and so forth. So, you know, strong science, also strong team, right? Um, they have to be, you know, scrappy. They have to be smart. You know, doing doing a biotech company as a founder is is really tough. Um, you know, it takes a lot of risk. It's it's a lot of work. So you you know you're betting on the science, but you're also betting on you know the founders, the team that they've assembled. Um, and then the last part is, is also talking about the team. Uh, we want people who are gonna you know see it through to the end, right? And I'm not just talking about you know making money, but also having an impact, right? So not just, you know, selling their company or whatever, but someone who will make sure that this, uh, that these drugs, which are potentially, um, you know, have broad geroprotective effect, you know, will have a major impact on aging. Uh, we want to be able to see that these founders will take the companies, you know, forward and, you know, uh, not just uh, apply the drugs to like very narrow indications or diseases, but actually expand it so that, uh, that we can prove um, that these drugs have broad uh, effect on on aging because that will be just um, a major landmark and milestone in in the field, right? And Nathan, how many years of um, of I guess data are you looking for when companies come to you? Okay, so that's that's a good question. Um, it depends. So <laughs> it, it's not really about the years. It's it's more about uh, what kind of results and uh, how well powered they are, like statistically, right? So. You can do like, you know. Is this like phase one studies, right? Oh, like in clinical oh, trials? Is this, or no, is this completely different than the biotech pharma world that I'm used to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so for most longevity companies, they uh, are very early stage. So they haven't even tested their. Got their, it. So, you know, they're not even like a phase one. Yeah, not even phase one. It's all preclinical, like 
basically all these companies are are preclinical, um, and that's just you know that's just the nature of the industry right now because we're so early right now. Um, there's only a, I would say forty or so clinical trials, depending on uh, how you count it, um, being done by longevity biotech companies and some more like. Um, sort of trials being done by uh, research institutions as well. But um, yeah, so basically it's, we're looking for, in, in the case of like preclinical companies, it'll be like, yeah, what kind of mouse data you have and stuff like that. And then you mentioned, um, you know, when companies, when you're vetting companies are coming to you um, and you differenti you're differentiating, you know, biohacking, right, compared to longevity. And you did give a, a good definition of what you're looking for at like the, the molecular cellular level. What is your definition of longevity? <laughs> this is this is something I ask myself every day. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> because no, it, it's really interesting because um, you know I have this website right longevitylist.com and it purportedly tries to uh, be a, a source, you know, a data source, a database for all the companies in the industry, right, the longevity biotech industry. But um, you know, there's there's other people have similar. Uh, lists. So shout out to Carl Flager at agingbiotech.info. He has also a really great list of companies that he puts in, um, in a table. And, um, you know, people have different definitions of what that, what longevity is, even within longevity biotech. So let's, let's even forget all the lifestyle stuff. Um, and part of that reason is, uh, I think one, there's no actually good definition of aging. So like the science in which these companies are, uh, you know, kind of in the same uh, neighborhood of, um, we don't have really a great definitions of aging or a theoretical basis of aging because we're still figuring that out, right? It's still early. Um, so that's part of the problem. And then uh, the other part is, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to longevity, uh, a lot of people have different uh, approaches and different opinions of what what might work for, you know, actually targeting aging. So like case in point, um, you know, there's certain companies that a lot of people will agree are aging companies, right? Like because they're self-proclaimed aging companies and the science is very uh, grounded in aging. But then there's like a lot of like gray area where it's like it could be aging, but it's kind of maybe isn't or maybe it'll be useful for aging, but the way that they're applying it and the company itself doesn't consider itself aging, right? So um uh, one example could be uh, there's this one company, uh, Gensite Biologics, which is basically trying to correct this um, this mutation that occurs in the mitochondrial DNA in this like rare disease, right? And it causes um, a type of blindness. Um, and their solution to the problem uh, is basically to express that that gene that, that usually, you know, is uh, found in the mitochondrial genome, they express that in the, in the nuclear, um, in, in the nucleus, right? So where it's more, um, uh, yeah, so they protect it in the nucleus, basically, um, and express it there. It's, it's called uh, allotopic expression. Anyways, point being is, uh, you know, this is a strategy that was sort of uh, talked about in um, Aubrey de Grey's book, basically, the, the idea that, you know, the mitochondria is just so, you know, reactive and there, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So the, the mutation rate's high. So maybe you should uh, protect the genes and uh, the mitochondrial genes by putting them in, in the nucleus. Uh, but the problem, uh, okay, yeah. So basically, um, long story short, what's my point? Uh, 
you know, this strategy of taking those genes, expressing them in the nucleus could be useful for aging, but the way that they're applying it is, is for a very specific um, situation, a very specific uh, rare disease, mitochondrial disease. And I don't think the company really has any plans to go to go after aging as a whole or like try and move all of the 13 you know important genes in the mitochondria in the nucleus to protect them from aging you know, like that's that's probably not on their on their roadmap and then there's other like gray areas like regenerative medicine which is a huge space right and some of it um, definitely could be used for for aging right but some um, you know some of it is is not as relevant so yeah it's really hard to say <laughs> That's a, that was a great question and a great answer as well. So I have a, a question for you as well. The longevity field as a whole, what is the point of it? Is it to give people the ability to choose when they die? Or is it so that they can go on living forever? What do you think? <laughs> I mean, it depends who you ask, really, right? So <laughs> some people are really adamant that the whole point of longevity is, is not to live longer, but to increase health span. Right. So. Um, so that's that's one you know opinion. And then there's there's other people who are, are a little bit more. Uh, I don't even know what does what the word is ambitious or or maybe more um, have loftier goals, per se, uh, which which are definitely harder. Right. Like, you know, increasing health span, you know, that's that seems like a very uh, attainable goal within, you know, the next decade or, or so. You know, we've been increasing health span, I think broadly um uh with with uh with other interventions already but like yeah so um some people would say actually the goal is to just obviate aging completely right and then uh and then other people like you said there's like this difference between living forever or or just choosing when you want to die um i would say in my personal opinion i think choice is always uh is always the best um is always the best, right? Like, it's, if you have more choices, the better, right? And that's kind of like just a broad uh, alignment with uh, moral progress, right? Uh, um, in society, like, you know, uh, when you have more choice in terms of like who you can marry or where you can work and, and, and these sort of things, or what kind of work you can do or who you want to represent you in government, like these are good things, right? To have choice. And uh, so I don't necessarily think people should be forced to live forever or anything like that. So like, that's, that's kind of crazy, but um, yeah, broadly having the choice to just say, hey, you know, um, if I can be healthy uh, for as long as I'd like to be healthy and productive and and uh, useful to society and enjoying all the cool stuff in the universe um, and you know, not just on Earth but like beyond, but uh, I, I think that's generally a, a good thing. So, uh, in terms of yeah, what is the the purpose of longevity? In my view, it's to have more choice. Um, and right now, the the situation, the scenario right now is basically you have no choice, right? Most people will only live, you know, 80 or 90 years. And then the last, like, maybe one or two decades of, of that life is just, um, you know, you have decline, uh, both physical and mental. Um, and uh, that causes all sorts of, you know, suffering. And you have no choice but to suffer. And I think that's just immoral. So we should just have more choice. That's better. And hopefully we'll develop the technologies to give us that choice. Mm, I like that a lot. The reduction of suffering is what I um, appreciate the most about it. Britannia? 
Um, no, I agree. Um, just, I, you know, having the freedom to have those choices um, is a really good thing to have. Um, Nathan, what do you think will help with the convergence of the crypto space and science? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so you're seeing some like early signs of this convergence, right? So uh, one of my favorite projects out there, VitaDAO, right? Uh, shout out to all the, all the people in the VitaDAO community. They're doing like incredible work in um, leveraging, you know, Web3 technologies to, to fund uh, longevity science and spin out companies from universities and make investments or, well, I don't, I don't want to say investments, but fund different companies and stuff like that in the, in the space, right? And uh, they've been very effective and uh, the community is very vibrant there. And I think it's just really cool how what they've done, uh, you know, to reduce the friction in, in allowing basically anybody in the world to participate in, in this mission. And um, so I think that's one of the things that's, that's you're starting to see. And there's more sort of like DSI projects popping up um, everywhere now. And there's like um, different like uh, niches within longevity and uh, different DAOs working on different things. So um, there's also like Athena DAO. So my friend Laura Minkini is, uh, you know, helping out with that effort. Uh, and they're working on reproductive aging and reprodu uh, women's reproductive health um, in the, you know, in the, in the, in the context of a DAO. So yeah, I think just broadly the whole DSI and DAO space is, is really interesting. And, um, so what will help, uh, like accelerate that, uh, once again, it, it's still so early, right? So just, uh, more successes and stuff like that. Um, more people joining these DAOs. Um, I think if, uh, uh, there was like this news, recent news actually, like Pfizer's ventures um, getting involved with like a 500k sort of uh, contribution to Vita DAO. So that's going to like also help, um, you know, popularize this this type of uh, vehicle, this kind of um, structure, this DAO structure for being used for for science, specifically longevity. So um, yeah, just more people getting involved and hopefully building and yeah, success will be its own story to bring more people in. I like that. I have a question for you personally. So, you know, we are the Dojalon community. We represent them with their ambassadors, so to speak. Is Dojalon something that you would consider accepting as an investment in one of your companies or in, um, something in the future that you're interested in? Oh, accepting as an investment. You mean like... Um, do you mean that as in like uh, like a venture firm investing, holding tokens or something like that? Yeah. Okay, or buying tokens off the market. Yeah. So like, I can't speak too specific, uh, you know, too specifically on any <laughs> investment <course>. decision, right? <laughs> but uh, because all that has to be done with diligence and so forth. But, um, but no, like broadly speaking, uh, just like, let's talk about just tokens and, um, you know, companies making investments, obviously in like the fintech space, you know, there's a lot of traditional VC firms that buy tokens and so forth who invested in, in crypto in, in certain ways. Um, in the biotech space, uh, that's not as common, obviously, but, uh, I think that's going to become more common, right? So, um, if you start thinking about the future of the way that, um, value can be created, then it makes sense that, you know, 
traditional biotech VC firms will invest more in these sort of like uh, Web3 projects that are, or, or crypto projects that are, that are working on biotech, right? So um, there's like Vibe bio, bio as well, like rare disease DAOs. And um, as I said before, Pfizer Venture is getting involved, uh, making an investment in Vita DAO. So I, I, I think, you know, it is, you know, a little bit of an exotic investment for, for biotech, but it's not, uh, it's not out of the question. Uh, it would all really depend on, you know, whether it aligns with your investment thesis and your investment mission, but also the specifics about like, how, you know, how is this all set up, like the, the um, you know, tokenomics and so forth. Yeah. During this podcast, you've mentioned many projects. Are there any projects in particular that you're excited about? Ooh, I mean, there's there's just so many, right? Um, I'm, I'm not going to mention too many specific companies because you don't want to hear me just like shill our portfolio or anything like that. That's boring. But uh, I will talk about some different uh, approaches broadly um, that different companies or, or projects in the space are, are employing. So... Um, I guess like the low entropy answer that's boring would be just like cellular reprogramming because that's like the hottest thing mm -hmm. in longevity right now with all the companies like um, Turn, you know, biotechnology, Altos Labs, obviously, um, New Limit, Retro Biosciences, Shift Biosciences, which disclaimer we we invested in. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really interesting field that's hitting at potentially a a major contributor of the aging process that's like epigenetic aging but um, there's a lot of still a lot of question marks because we don't really know what's going on there um, but uh, it's uh, it's promising right being able to reset the the state of the cell or or turn it back uh, to a, a youthful state um, at least in the epigenetics uh, epigenetic sense um, so so that's you know obviously a uh, an interesting um, area right now that's being explored by a lot of companies and, you know, Altus Labs launched earlier this year with like $3 billion, which is the most funded uh, startup in all of history. If you can even call it a startup at this point, right? It's a pharma company like created ex nihilo or something. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's that. But uh, the other things that I think are really interesting that, that don't get a lot of press or attention, but I think are, enormously have like a huge uh, potential um, are more in the regenerative medicine space, you could say. So uh, I really like what Jean Hebert is doing at uh, Einstein College of Medicine. Not sure if you're aware of what he does, but he's basically trying to tackle the problem of aging in the brain by progressively replacing neural tissue with um, engineered, um, engineered uh, brain cells or, well, yeah, neural tissue from like iPSCs or or other types of uh, neural tissue. Uh, and the idea here is that he thinks that aging is just like so complicated, like the molecular processes are just so complicated and there's stuff going on in the extracellular matrix and, and so forth. It's just so complicated that we won't be able to uh, effectively reverse all those uh, molecular modifications that happen over time. And actually, he thinks that the best way to... Uh, tackle aging is to replace uh, parts, right? And that's something that we do normally in like, uh, you know, in maintenance of like aircraft or like, you know, cars and stuff like that. And um, we have the ability to create youthful parts from uh, 
iPSCs, like uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, and you know, differentiating them into different tissues. There's people working on tissue engineering. So basically, his idea is to progressively replace the brain. Now, you can't like grow a brain, like a whole brain, and replace your brain because that would just like, uh, I mean, like yeah, that would destroy your consciousness. But what he is trying to leverage is the the plasticity of the brain. So you can actually replace um, a part of the brain because this happens just naturally, like uh, in the process of um, like. Uh, when someone has a, a brain tumor, right? Um, even though the parts of the brain are being displaced, um, the function generally tends to to migrate because the brain is, the brain is plastic, so it can tolerate like some modifications to the brain. So what he wants to do is just kind of like silence a small part of the brain, then replace that tissue with like uh, younger neural tissue, and then um, eventually the the function will migrate. Um, so everything is still kind of like continuous. Anyways, so that's that's like what Jean Hebert is doing. You should check out his book, uh, Replacing Aging. It's uh, a fascinating read. But um, yeah, so I think that sort of approach is very interesting. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. You know, we're going to get into books in a minute. But what you just mentioned goes in harmony with the Methuselah Foundations, one of their strategies, new parts for people, basically replacing those parts. You know, you think about um, companies like uh, Organovo, New Organ Alliance, Volumetric, you know, they're focused on new parts for people, you know, that and it goes in harmony with what you mentioned about John Hebert and his book. So along with that book, do you have any book recommendations for our listeners? Ooh, yeah. I mean, let's see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would highly recommend people check out um, Balaji's newest book, uh, The Network State. I think it's just like a really interesting read. And uh, I think... Um, in some ways that could be the future for longevity, right? People who who all really, you know, believe in some sort of moral mission, which could be like, you know, defeating aging or, or obviating aging. Uh, we are all meeting somehow through, through the power of the internet, right? And what if there was a way for those people to coalesce uh, or in, in some physical space or some decentralized, many decentralized physical spaces, right? And create their own uh, essentially nation state right and uh, unlock all the all the the power and the organization that uh, that comes with it um, so it's something to imagine and to, to think about and um, yeah hopefully uh, we'll see where that goes in the future um, you know a lot of people are working on this network state idea for different different um, I guess moral missions or or different fields so yeah Definitely recommend that. I think it's free on his website. So it's like a website book, okay. <laughs> so to speak. So recommend that one. But the uh, other one that I, I'm actually reading right now is uh, The Great CEO Within. So <laughs> not that I'm trying to be a, a great CEO, but I do. Have, <laughs> Very motiv motivational. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't consider, consider myself a great CEO or anything like that. I'm not even a CEO. But I do have to, you know, uh, in, my, in, my, in my role, as uh, you know, program director for the On Deck Longevity Biotech Fellowship, which um, is actually uh, going to continue uh, in next year as a, a nonprofit called the Longevity Biotech Fellowship. Um, you know, as my role there as a director, like you have to think about you know how to efficiently run an organization. And this book is basically like a really short read of just different um, different lessons, almost recipes on like best practices 
on how to like run meetings and you know manage people, manage teams and stuff like that. And uh, unless you've worked in a lot of different companies, it's hard to know you know these best practices. So it's a really it's like a cheat sheet basically for for managing. <laughs> Thank you, the CEO within. Yeah, the like great that. CEO within. Yeah. So Nathan, you also shared you know on your on your journey to where you are today, you were going pursuing your PhD and then you left and you went to Asia, backpacking through Asia and Australia. Obviously there was a calling, right? I'm curious, what books were you reading then? Yeah, um, so I guess uh, Ending Aging obviously is, um, is a classic, right? But uh, actually one book that, I mean, it's not so popular, but uh, Jim Mellon's book, he, he, Jim Mellon is one of the co-founders at Juvenescence. He's a billionaire investor in the space. And uh, he wrote like a pretty short book called, uh, well, Juvenescence of the same name. And um, that was actually pretty influential uh, in terms of getting me into the space because it was kind of like a, an overview of the business side of longevity and the investing side. And I didn't know about a lot of these companies, but it was really interesting to see that there was like real investors, like, you know, reputable investors, well, well-known investors, like investing in the longevity space. So it made it more like real, more tangible that um, it's not just like, you know, it's not just science, but it's ready for prime time now. Right. So, um, yeah. So that sort of got me into the spaces as a sort of inspiration as well. Thank you for sharing. I have one more question for you. What can we do? What can our listeners do? What can you and I do right now that can extend our lives? I mean, okay, so interesting question. Um, So I should preface with a disclaimer that I am not a doctor. Um, I can tell you what I do personally, which is um, the basics, right? So uh, try and exercise. you know, get a decent amount of exercise every day. You know, I, I highly recommend people uh, get a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, you know, something to track, you know, what's going on in your body and your movement. And it's also like a good motivator to to get you to, to exercise more, I think. Um, and then like when it comes to uh, diet and nutrition, um, you know, I personally um, try to eat more plant-based, right? And you know, not so much sugar, um, and so forth. But then, okay, so that's kind of like the lame advice, right? Like, I I don't know, there's nothing really like crazy there. Um, I don't really, you know, some people in in the space will take like metformin, rapamycin and that kind of stuff. And uh, I think it's really interesting. I think rapamycin is actually super interesting. Um, And there's going to be a, a clinical trial um, in dogs, right, to see if um, rapamycin will extend their lifespan or health span. So, um, so I think you know when that data comes out, you know maybe I would start considering, you know, whether I would want to take you know rapamycin off label. But right now I don't, and I I don't think there's uh, personally for me I don't I haven't gone deep enough to like convince myself to do anything like that uh, more exotic, but. Um, but then on the flip side, okay, so we've talked about like more lifestyle and like nutrition or drugs and stuff like that. Um, the flip side is, uh, okay, maybe uh, live, if you want to live longer, maybe you should, I don't know, try and promote the longevity space, right? Ooh, so that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> no specific interventions or anything like that or lifestyle. Maybe, uh, yeah, you just try and get more people working on this problem. 
in, in different ways. It could be in policy, it could be in company building, it could be just like just promoting it in different ways by creating like podcasts like like yours, right? Or or yeah, maybe for the people who are inclined, you know, study uh, biology of aging and then, you know, do research in, in universities or other academic institutions, just getting more people working on this problem. Because uh, the way that it stands right now, it, it's still a really small field, both academically and also in the biotech industry. And this is despite the fact that, you know, most of the, the top killer diseases, most of the, uh, you know, Top causes of death are, are age-related, right? They, they're caused by aging. And we spend so little of our financial and human capital on working on this problem. So just trying to get more people working on it, I think, will have, pay out great dividends in uh, potentially, potentially extending your lifespan. I love that answer. Learn about you know, mRNA, learn about rapamycin, telomere shortening, learn about these things, take time to research them. And uh, if we promote it, then we could really solve the issue that is the common thread through uh, everything in, in the biotech field, which is aging. You know, we, we're all getting older every day, every minute, every second. But soon we may be able to turn the, the hands back. We really appreciate you being with us today. We appreciate your insight. Um, and we, we welcome you back again if you'd like to <laughs> spend some more time. With yeah, us. of course. Anytime. Yeah, thanks. Uh... It was a pleasure. Pleasure for us as well. We appreciate you being here once again. Nathan wanted to encourage everyone listening to support the Longevity Biotech Fellowship Program. And you can find out more about it on longbiofellowship.org. Once again, that's longbiofellowship.org. You can support us on elongevity.com. And you can find there an invitation to our Discord to be part of the community. We really appreciate you being here. We appreciate our technical staff, those who support the uh, podcast. We have more episodes coming, and we hope to see you again.